Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, a stimulating look at culture, current events, faith, and politics from a Christian and conservative point of view. We don't just talk on the radio, we blog too. Check us out at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Now grab a cup of coffee and join us. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. And welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you by Myers & Associates, serving the Midwest with industrial maintenance products and services. Call them at 515-795-3676. Myers & Associates, keeping your operations running. Hey, welcome back to another week of Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. This is Shane Van Hart. we got Brian Myers in studio. And, of course, Ron at the board. Howdy. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. So, Brian, how's your NCA bracket doing? It maybe took a hit yesterday. Yeah? Yeah. That yesterday did not turn out quite like... Uh, Who lost that made you... Oh, we had a huge up- upset. It was a it was a 12-2 or something like that. Um, shoot. Um, Xavier won, I think. Oh, okay. See, yeah, Xavier I had out, out of my bracket. A long yeah, I'm trying, ago, trying so. to remember now who they beat. They beat a number two seed, I think. Yeah, I don't think that actually impacted my bracket. I think I well, yours exploded weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> yours was yours was detonated before you ever turned it in. <laughs> hey, well, I, I'm glad ESPN actually gave you. A, they have a second chance for a bracket for Sweet 16, so I did that. I'm not doing badly there even though I I thought Michigan based on how they played last round I thought they were going to play better against uh, Oregon. They almost they could have pulled it out. Well, and I close. anticipated a closer game between Kansas and Purdue and that ended up being like a 30-point blowout. Yeah. That was an ugly second half. But I did predict Xavier in the uh in the sweet six, in the rem- the uh in your second chance. In the second yeah. chance, so uh, to win in in the Sweet Sixteen. Well, I, you know, I'm still going to watch some games and in, enjoy the tournament, but it's not quite the same when when all your teams are gone. You know? Right. And it's right. like, well, and it's not just the NCAA men's tournament. You've got the NIT tournament, Iowa lost, so, yeah. you know, and then uh, uh, the women's tournament. I was really looking forward to seeing Drake's uh, Drake's team make some noise because they they had such a great year and and they did they got they got beat first yeah. round. So it's kind of a you know, but anyway. Yeah. And we can't even point to wrestling anymore like we used to. We used to say, well, hey, at least we're doing well in wrestling. This year it's like, um, I think Iowa came in fourth, which I guess most most people say, hey, that's a great year. But I'm like, no. <laughs> well, I don't want to talk about wrestling anyway. <laughs> at least not until the clones program comes back. <laughs> well, yeah. It's, I guess, then I I'll can, talk to you a little I bit. I can understand it. that, but. Oh, I'm just I, I I want Iowa so badly to come back to its era of dominance in the sport. So anyway, what are we doing on the show today? Anyway, well, we have a very special guest on the line, uh, Jenna Ellis. She's a constitutional law and criminal defense attorney, a law professor at Colorado Christian University, where she directs the legal studies program, and a fellow at the Centennial Institute, as well as an author of the Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution. Welcome to Caffeine Thoughts Radio, Jenna. Thank you so much for having me this morning. So you, uh, a lot of us have been following the confirmation hearing of or several days of uh, confirmation hearings of Judge uh, Neil Gorsuch. Uh, what are your initial thoughts of, of from the week? You know, I think he is doing fantastically. Um, if he can't get confirmed, then probably no one ever could. I mean, his responses are so clear 
so precise, and he just exhibits a wonderful mastery, not only of the subject matter of law, but also the role of a judge in our American constitutional republic. And I think that that piece is the best indication of where he will uh, direct his opinions from the bench if he gets confirmed. Yeah, he had an interesting exchange with uh, Senator Feinstein on originalism and the 14th Amendment. And for our, our listeners, could you define what originalism is? Uh, and is, is it different than, than being a strict constructionalist? Right. And so um, there are several different philosophies of how we interpret the Constitution as a written document. And um, the idea of originalism is that judges are bound to faithfully apply the law as written and look at what the words themselves mean as written, not necessarily um, what just what they think the founders intended, but um, look at the document itself. And so this this becomes essentially important when um, you realize that that progressives today um, and most of the liberals want to read into those things and add to those words and say, well, the founders never contemplated that, um, for example, we would have um, a high-capacity machine gun. And so we have to ignore the Second Amendment and we have to recreate things because the founders could have never contemplated that, where a uh, an originalist would say, the Second Amendment says what it means, which is the right to keep and bear arms, and arms today in 2017 um, also means high-capacity machine guns. Hmm. But Dr. Ellis, though, let me, let me just ask you a follow-up question relative to originalism. Um, is, there, is there room, however, to uh, consider the intent of the founders? In other words, for, for example— uh, I can't. I can't imagine that the founders. The founders, no doubt, believed in right to privacy. Having said that, I, I can't imagine that any one of them would have contemplated that the right to privacy included the right for a woman to abort her uh, unborn child. Right, and you know, it's, one of the beautiful things about the Constitution is that it gives us absolutely everything we need. Because what they did do is protect life. And so life in in this sense should actually be our biggest consideration here when we're talking about an abortion issue. It's not really a right to to privacy. It's a right to that unborn child to have life. And so the Constitution is simply a limited set of specific powers granted to the federal government to operate. And then the Bill of Rights um, is a redundancy protection saying, Congress, in case you were not clear that you cannot infringe on these specific mm-hmm. fundamental rights, we are telling you you can't. Mm-hmm. And so so the founders didn't have to articulate absolutely every single right. They simply had to say, federal government, here are your specific powers, and anything that is not specifically given to you is specifically not given to you, and it's reserved mm-hmm. to the state. Right, and then the Ninth Amendment was kind of the, a blanket amendment. And by the way, any rights that we didn't mention... You know, just because we don't mention them doesn't mean they're not protect, protected, right? Yes, and then the Tenth Amendment as well goes hand in hand with that. And mm-hmm. interestingly, those are the two that the federal government and specifically the Supreme Court um, most often ignore today. Which is, yeah, yeah, that's a shame. So, uh, with originalism, is there any difference between that and strict constructionalists? Um, it, you know, it depends on the person that, you, that you're talking to, but um, but yes, and so a constructionalist um, would 
take into account a lot more of um, what Justice Scalia would have considered the legislative history, and they would have looked um, outside uh, the written text, and they would have seen how was this constructed, what can we observe about what the founders uh, looked at and, and wrote down and what we can see from the Constitutional Convention, and we will um, we will infer their intent based on some of those writings. So, um, so the reason that I'm an originalist is, for example, when we have Thomas Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Church talking about, um, and that's where we get this phrase, separation of church and state, some constructionalists would say, well, that was what he intended with... Um, with the Establishment Clause and separating church and state. And that's how we actually get to that, um, inferring that and imputing that into the Constitution, where that's absolutely incorrect if we look at what the founders actually wrote down in that document. Right. Okay. Um, You're listening to Caffeine Thoughts Radio, and on the line we have Jenna Ellis, who's a law professor with Colorado Christian University and a fellow at the Centennial Institute. Um, I, there was a kind of a brouhaha with pro-lifers this week uh, related to uh, some of the exchanges that uh, Judge Gorsuch had with, with senators on the Judiciary Committee. I want to play a couple clips for you and give you a chance to respond. You want to go ahead and play clip one, Ron? Uh, I think the case that uh, most people are thinking about right now and the case that every nominee gets asked about, Roe v. Wade, can you tell me whether Roe was decided correctly? Senator, again, I would tell you that Roe v. Wade, decided in 1973, is a precedent of the United States Supreme Court. It has been reaffirmed. The reliance interest considerations are important there. And all of the other factors that go into analyzing precedent have to be considered. It is a precedent of the United States Supreme Court. It was reaffirmed in Casey in 1992 and in several other cases. So a good judge will consider it as precedent of the United States Supreme Court, worthy as treatment of precedent like any other. Do you view Roe as having super precedent? Well, Senator, a super precedent is a... a, In numbers, 44... It it has been reaffirmed many times. I can say that. Yes. Yes, dozens. All right. Okay, then uh, we'll go ahead and play clip two real quick. This is uh, with Senator Graham. The last one was Chuck Grassley and Feinstein. Had you ever met President Trump personally? <clears throat> Not until my interview. In that interview, did he ever ask you to overrule Roe v. Wade? No, Senator. What would he have done if he if he had asked? Senator, I would have walked out the door. It's not what judges do. Okay. They don't do it at that end of Pennsylvania Avenue. And they shouldn't do it at this end either. Okay, so your thoughts on that? I mean, I saw some of my pro-life friends who go like, "What? He's treating it as precedent? He, what? He 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 wouldn't commit to overturning Roe v. Wade? What? How do you respond to that?" Sure. So if you look, if you go back and actually hear Senator Grassley's question, he was asking for um, a policy consideration or an opinion from the judge whether he thought that Roe v. Wade was decided correctly. And Gorsuch answered simply with the facts. He said Roe v. Wade is precedent, and it has been reaffirmed in Planned Parenthood v. Casey. All of those things are facts. He hasn't actually given his opinion. And so we as conservatives can't look at that as his exact response. He simply responded with facts. And so how confirmation hearings work are that all of these senators are going to try to ask him 
to give his opinion, say how he might rule in future cases. And that's improper. And so his response was absolutely correct to simply give facts and, and leave it at that and say it is precedent. And right now with his position on the Tenth Circuit, um, he would have to and be bound by his job to consider it precedent unless and until he gets confirmed to the Supreme Court and a case comes up where he would have the opportunity. Only then could he contemplate that. So his response was absolutely perfect and actually didn't give any opinion whatsoever. Yeah, because my, my thought when I, I, I think a lot of us are confused by that because uh, I mentioned on Facebook a couple of days ago that we're used to political talk, you know, how and giving your opinion, and we're not used to this legalese. Um, and, uh, you know, when I listened to that, he's like, well, he didn't say it was, he didn't say that it was uh, properly decided. He didn't, yeah, you're right, he didn't render opinion. Um, I, I, this I, stuff I, makes for great theater, but it really doesn't tell you a whole lot about how a judge is going to rule. Right. It, it doesn't. And it also, in the mainstream media, they're not telling the public how they need to view the confirmation hearings. And so people are left to want um, a particular response. Of course, the pro-choice want him to say, you know, yes, this is the greatest decision. Go with mm-hmm. it. Right. And then conservatives want, you know, our advocacy to say, you know, no, it was the worst decision. I'm going to protect life. I'm going to be the advocate. And that's not the purpose of the confirmation hearing. And so now you get all of these disputes because people are misunderstanding and misinterpreting what he's saying. Right. So I have, you know, I have some friends that are even concerned us with, with uplifting the, the value of, of precedent or stare decisis. Uh, why why should we not be concerned about that, or why should we, uh, from your opinion? Uh, precedent is a very valuable thing if we look at the role and function of the judicial branch. It's the only branch that is not political by design. So we have the legislative branch, which considers policy, considers what do we make into law? How can we best, with our limited grant of powers, preserve and protect the fundamental rights of people? That's all that Congress should be doing. And by the way, they're limited to the subject matter in Article 1, Section 8. That's all the power that they have. And domestic relations, healthcare, education, so many things are actually not powers granted to them. Right. So if Congress were operating correctly, they, they uh, a lot of the laws wouldn't be on the books. Um, but they consider policy. And then the president and the administrative and executive branch are the law enforcement agency. They have discretion um, to look at a particular case and decide whether to bring charges under the Department of Justice, how to enforce the law. And and obviously, they're very political as well. The judicial branch is not. It has to look at what the law calls both the ex post and the ex ante, which um, means we have to look at what happened in the past ex post, those specific facts. But we also have to look at the ex ante, which is the future. How does this judicial determination give incentives to different groups to um, perform differently now that they know how a court would decide. And so that's why precedent is valuable, because you want the law to be predictable. You want to know, if I act in this particular manner, am I putting myself or my business at risk? Am I not? How is the court going to decide this? So you want an element of predictability, but you don't want an activist judge to get on the bench and decide a case 
merely out of his own political policy preference rather than what Congress intended and established the law to say. And that goes for conservatives (laughs) and liberals, right? Absolutely. And if we are truly conservatives and understand this great inheritance of our constitutional republic, we will absolutely want judges like Judge Gorsuch who would respond to those questions precisely as he did. All right. Well, hopefully, uh, it sounds like the Senate might filibuster, uh, at least the Democrats might filibuster, which would be a shame. Uh, it will be interesting to see what, how, if Republicans will use the nuclear option. What, and, well, it's, it's my understanding that they are trying to work out a deal so that they don't have to do that and still save face. Yeah. I don't know if they'll get it done, but that, that's it'll, what they're trying to it'll do. It'll be interesting to watch. Thank you so much, Jenna, for coming on. That was Jenna Ellis with uh, Colorado Christian University and Centennial Institute. We appreciate you coming on. This is Caffeine. Thank you so much. You were very welcome. This is Caffeine Thoughts Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, this is Brian Myers of Myers and Associates. If you're involved in maintenance at a manufacturing plant, you know how costly it can be when a machine goes down. And if the reason that machine went down is because the electronic controls on it failed, it can really be problematic if those electronics are obsolete. Well, not to worry. We represent Providence Industrial Electronics Repair, and they can get your machine up and running in no time. They repair boards, drives, servo motors, light curtains, you name it. So if you need industrial electronics repaired at your plant, or if you have other industrial maintenance needs, give me a call at 515 590-2640. That's Myers & Associates, 515-490-2640. Myers & Associates, keeping your operations running. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you in part by Travis Rizvold of Modern Woodmen of America. Call Travis at 515-883-0029, and he can help you find the life insurance you need. So, we want to talk about, there's several different things in the news going on, and Brian's laughing at me, and I'm not sure why. Well, because after... All the fun we just had. You had no idea what we were going to talk about. Right. <laughs> I was a little concerned. The things that go on <laughs> in between recording is better left on set. There. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, basically, we, we had another terrorist attack this week, London attack. Uh, Daily Wire reports that on Thursday, London's Metropolitan Police identified 52-year-old Khalid Masood as the Muslim man behind Wednesday's deadly terror attack in Westminster, which is right outside par- um, where Parliament meets. According to British authorities, Masood rammed his SUV into dozens of pedestrians on Westminster Bridge before exiting his vehicle and stabbing a police officer outside of the gates of Parliament. Four people were killed during the rampage, and at least 40 others were injured. Seven of the victims remain in critical condition. Uh, Masood was shot and killed by uh, police who responded. Uh, they list seven things we need to know about Khalid Masood. And what's number one on the list? He's a native of England. Uh, so this that, is that's being trumpeted left and right. Right, right. And and here's the thing: don't 
just because he's a native, this doesn't mean make it any less Islamic terrorism. That's right. Uh, matter of fact, this actually should be even more concerning. Uh, the fact that he's native born. Yeah. Uh, because if that happens in, in, in England, it could certainly happen to us. And something is radicalizing him now in, in the United Kingdom, they do have, um, they do have mosques that do have some fundamentalist pre, uh, imams who, who, uh, preach, um, Violence, violence and so on and so forth and we don't necessarily have that in the united states but we have the internet uh so it's you know it uh, so this message isn't necessary whether it's what's whether it's said on our shores or said on the on the internet it, it doesn't matter it's still accessible to people well, i think here. one of the reasons why it's being you know as i said earlier it's being trumpeted so much is because they don't want to have anybody be able to say that this attack has anything to do with immigration policy I think that's a lot of it. Right. Right. But but what you're saying is is obviously true. Yeah, I mean, so it, whether you want to make a case about immigration or not, I mean uh there there's things that are going on in England uh, that are occurring that probably wouldn't occur had if they did not have open borders. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't you wouldn't have Muslim ghettos. You probably wouldn't have these particular imams preaching what they do. Um it, it, it would be, I think, it would be a much different environment. Um, well, Mark Stein was making the the point yesterday that these sorts of things can still be connected to governmental immigration policy, insofar as we can have multi generational um, violence, right? Uh, where we have where we have this sort of extremism that's being taught. Uh, you know, is obviously easier to teach when you have multiple generations of people uh, who may uh, be inclined that way. Right. Um, now, how much, how widespread this is, I don't know, but but he does have a point. Yeah. Yeah. Also, second thing to know is he has a long criminal record. Um, third thing is he claimed that he was an English teacher in order to rent the vehicle that ultimately be used in the fatal ta- attack on Westminster. So I'm not sure what we're to glean from that other than. Maybe don't ever rent to English teachers. I don't, I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't think that's funny. no. That's probably not where we're supposed to go with that. All right. The fourth thing, uh, according to Daily Wire, is uh, the police believe that Masood acted alone. However, he was inspired by international terrorism. But here's the third. Uh, next couple things make me question the fourth. The fourth of the statement the police made. Number five is he was known, this is a guy who was known to British intelligence as a peripheral figure when it came to violent extremism. So this wasn't a complete surprise to the intelligence committee or community. And number six, seven people have been arrested in relation to Wednesday's attack, but he acted alone? Yeah. Why why arrest seven people then if he acted alone? So um, ISIS has claimed responsibility for the attack, calling Masood. Uh, Islamic State soldier. Now, this does not mean he um, went to a training camp or mm-hmm. anything like that. They 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 have called Islamic uh, people Islamic State soldiers when they've just you know uh, they 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 claim that basically he's been influenced mm-hmm. by them, not necessarily that they've been he's been trained by them. So that's something to keep in mind. A British uh, Prime Minister Theresa May responded to the. Uh, um, the attack. Can you go ahead and play clip three? Mr. Speaker, yesterday an act of terrorism 
tried to silence our democracy. But today we meet as normal, as generations have done before us and as future generations will continue to do, to deliver a simple message. We are not afraid, and our resolve will never waver in the face of terrorism. And we meet here in the oldest of all parliaments, because we know that democracy and the values it entails will always prevail. Those values, free speech, liberty, human rights and the rule of law, are embodied here in this place, but they are shared by free people around the world. A terrorist came to the place where people of all nationalities and cultures gather to celebrate what it means to be free. And he took out his rage indiscriminately against innocent men, women and children. Mr Speaker, this was an attack on free people everywhere. And on behalf of the British people, I would like to thank our friends and allies around the world who have made it clear that they stand with us at this time. All right, we go ahead and stop. So, yeah, so basically, hey, stiff upper lip, we're... You know, we're not going to back down. We're not going to be afraid of this. Um, shifting gears here, Russia's been in the news some more this week. Uh, no, not at all. Not at all, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> FBI Director James Comey <clears throat> confirms that there's an investigation. Go ahead, play clip four. As you know, our practice is not to confirm the existence of ongoing investigations, especially those investigations that involve classified matters. But... In unusual circumstances, where it is in the public interest, it may be appropriate to do so, as Justice Department policies recognize. This is one of those circumstances. I have been authorized by the Department of Justice to confirm that the FBI, as part of our counterintelligence mission, is investigating the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. And that includes investigating the nature of any links between individuals associated with the Trump campaign and the Russian government, and whether there was any coordination between the campaign and Russia's efforts. As with any counterintelligence investigation, this will also include an assessment of whether any crimes were committed. Because it is an open, ongoing investigation and is classified, I cannot say more about what we are doing and whose conduct we are examining. At the request of congressional leaders, we have taken the extraordinary step, in coordination with the Department of Justice, of briefing this Congress's leaders, including the leaders of this committee, in a classified setting, in detail about the investigation. So there is an investigation. We don't know who exactly they're investigating. Well, look... This really isn't a surprise. No, no. I mean, mean. this apparently has been ongoing since last July. And again, it shouldn't be a surprise given the fact that there have been so many leaks. Yeah. I mean, anytime this this information was leaked, it begged the question, where did the intel come from? Right. And it's because the government's gathering it. Right. Because there was an investigation going on. So, I mean... This was supposed to be, you know, a, a breathtaking moment, a mic drop moment. 
you know, a very bad moment for the Trump administration, and I'm not saying that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's really no surprise here. You, you, you had to know, if you were paying attention, you had to know that the government was was looking into some of these things. And and I think it's appropriate that they do. Sure. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not disappointed that's, that's happening. If there is connection, if there was collusion, that needs to come to light of day. Uh, top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, uh, ranking member Congressman Adam Schiff of California, Democrat, uh, said uh, CNN reports is claiming that he's been presented with new information on collusion between the associates of President Donald Trump and Russia, suggesting it's a kind of it's the kind of evidence that a grand jury investigation would want to consider, uh, not not the kind that would be necessarily brought up in a trial where you're um, basically trying to prove guilt, you know. Uh, guilt beyond reasonable doubt mm-hmm. he says we continue to uh but evidence that you know shows probable cause anyway for an arrest we continue to get new information that i think paints a more complete picture of at least what we know at the outset of our investigation shift said asked to explain his comments earlier in the week when he said there was more than just circumstantial evidence of collusion Schiff said i do think it's appropriate to say that's the kind of evidence that you would want to submit to a grand jury at the beginning of an investigation. It's not the kind of evidence you would take to trial jury when you're trying to prove something beyond a reasonable doubt. But we're beginning an investigation, and given the gravity of the subject matter, I think that the evidence certainly warrants us to do a thorough investigation. Uh, moving on, uh, wiretapping. Now uh, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Devin Nunez, also of California, a Republican, does not know for sure whether President Donald Trump or members of his transition team, uh, this is ABC News, uh, were even on phone calls or other communications now being cited as partial vindication for the president's wiretapping claims against the Obama administration, according to a spokesperson. He said he'll have to get all the documents he requested from the intelligence community about this before he knows for sure, a spokesperson for Nunez said Thursday. he was uh, Nunez was a member of Trump, the Trump transition team executive committee. At a press conference uh, um, earlier this week, Nunez announced he obtained dozens of reports showing the intelligence com- U.S. intelligence community through its normal foreign surveillance incidentally collected information about U.S. citizens involved in the Trump transition. But Nunez never said Trump or any of the president's associates personally had participated in the communications that were intercepted. At this press conference yesterday, Nunez expressed concern about details about the Trump transition members with little or no apparent foreign intelligence value or widely disseminated in the intelligence community reporting. At least some of those people were specifically identified or what they call unmasked in the intelligence community documents. That's a problem, by the way. Uh, They're not supposed to do that, but that's apparently been done on on numerous occasions. And I think we have time to get this next story in. Uh, You want to play clip five? This is a... um, Senator Matt McCoy and and State Senator Jake Chapman were debating fireworks, and then Matt McCoy said something interesting. ...that these fireworks were going to be sold in gas stations? Senator, it depends on the classification of the fireworks, first of all. Um, as, as read here, you have to be 50 feet away from dispensing stations. So if we're talking consumer-grade fireworks... Um, Schedule class one. Um, if you're 50 foot from those dispensaries, then yes, you would be able to to sell. Um, if if for some reason there's uh, bulk storage above ground, of course, then you would have to have a 300 foot 
um, uh, space. However, the Schedule 2, Class 2 fireworks, those are your novelties. Those are your sparklers. Those are your um, little snappers that you throw on the ground and they pop. Um, those have different requirements. But for the sake of this argument, uh, we're talking about this, the, uh, the Class 1 fireworks. And right there, it's a 50-foot it's a requirement. If they're let's, let's dumb this down for, for me. Sure. Because uh, I don't know what class one is, and I don't have the Book of Mormon over there like you've got to read Ooh. from. I tried to. I tried. So, um, yeah. That uh, might have been an inappropriate dig. It, it was, and he was called on the carpet for it, and he was called, uh, State Senator Jack Woodford, the president of the Senate, called him over the well, and he promptly apologized after that. But I think we can call State Senator Matt McCoy a bigot. Anti-religious bigot. What do you think? Shoe fits? I think so. Hey, this is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. <laughs> it definitely needed to be dumbed down for him. Definitely. He's not the brightest bulb. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, this is Brian Myers. When I needed a better life insurance plan, I found it with Travis Rizvold of Modern Woodman of America. When I first met Travis, he wasn't like some other life insurance agents that can be pushy and try to get you to buy something. Travis just made himself available to me. That was it. He told me to let him know if and when I needed anything, and he stayed in touch. When the day came and I did need to make some changes with my life insurance, Travis met with me and walked me through several options so I could make an informed decision. Ultimately, it was the best decision for my situation. So if you need a better or the best life insurance plan for you... Call my friend Travis Rizvold with Modern Woodman. His number is 515-883-0029. Travis Rizvold with Modern Woodman. He can help you find the life insurance you need. Call him at 515-883-0029. Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, a stimulating look at culture, current events, faith, and politics from a Christian and conservative point of view. We don't just talk on the radio, we blog too. Check us out at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Now grab a cup of coffee and join us. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Hey, welcome back to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you in part by Crosswalk Ministries with Scott Owen, who offers biblical counseling and conciliation. Give him a call at 515-292-7141 or go to crosswalkcounseling.org. And now it's time for our news segment, although I guess we've been doing news for a good share of the morning. Yes. But uh, this particular segment uh, we affectionately call News You Can Use. Okay, first up, (laughs) this is from Politico. President Donald Trump is demanding a vote Friday in the House on the Republican plan to repeal and replace Obamacare. If the bill fails, Trump is prepared to move on and leave Obamacare in place. The surprise announcement by the top White House official made with the full support of Speaker Paul Ryan and other House GOP leaders came during a closed-door meeting of Republicans Thursday morning, excuse me, Thursday evening in the basement of the Capitol. That seems to be an apropos place. <laughs> <laughs> Behind closed doors in some corner room. Mm-hmm. The move by Trump and Ryan is an enormous gamble, setting up a real cliffhanger when the legislation hits the floor on Friday. Which is today. as Which is today, right. 
All day Thursday, the White House and GOP leaders lacked the votes to pass the American Health Care Act. A loss on the House floor would be a glaring embarrassment for the new president and the House Speaker, one that could undermine the other parts of the GOP legislative agenda, including tax reform. Anyway, I'm just saying, American Health Care Act, a.k.a. the bill from the basement. (laughs) (laughs) The bill from the basement. Oh, yeah. And I don't know how I feel about all this. Well, on the one hand, leaving... I, 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 as you've pointed out, this is not a good bill in many respects. Right. On the other hand, leaving Obamacare in place is disastrous for ten different reasons. Well, that's that's on President Trump, and pre- and here's my problem: President Trump is the chief executive. He it is not his role or his place to dictate to Congress when they vote. Mm-hmm. He is out of line, and what? frankly, the fact that Republicans are going along with him really ticks me off, and they need to rebuke him for that. Well, look, I understand what they were attempting to do, um, and to have a a big win quick would have been a fantastic thing, but this was something that they needed to hammer out and get right. Right. Now, I've I've been hearing all all of this, well, they've had seven years to work on this, and they never had a plan. (laughs) Well, there were plans everywhere. That was part of the problem is trying to come up with a a singular plan that everybody would buy into. That that was not going to happen overnight. Trump should have realized that. Ryan should have realized that. Everybody should have realized that. And it's not the kind of thing that you want to get wrong. That's what the Democrats did. Yep. So anyway, it's a real frustrating situation. History seems to be repeating itself. Okay. Iowa Senate votes on traffic cameras. This is from Radio Iowa. Iowa senators debated the fate of traffic enforcement cameras for nearly an hour, dramatically ditching a proposal to ban the cameras. Instead, senators voted to let the cameras remain with the fines used exclusively for public safety or roads. Well, what do you think about that, Mr. Vander? I think that was a crap sandwich, and I think there's some <laughs> senators who need to explain themselves. What, what, hap- I, I, what happened? I mean, what- Basically, they, they put an amendment that totally gutted the bill. And allowed it, it restricts it provides some restrictions on the cameras where they so Zahn, Zahn offered the the legislation and then somebody offered amendments Dan that, Zumba and that, we that, we could lay this before him um, I, I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not gonna necessarily because there were a number of Republican senators voted against the amendment who ended up voting for the bill but that's because they recognized well the ban is dead this provides some restrictions as where as far as where the money can be. Uh, how it can be spent, and and where these traffic cameras can go. Um, I think it... So it wouldn't turn into a municipal slush fund. Right. And I, I think it might re- we might see fewer of these cameras placed because it takes some of that, that the... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the financial incentive? Yeah, the incentive to actually do these. Um, so, it, you know, in that regard, it's not bad, but... My goodness, we should have had enough votes in there to to ban traffic cameras. This they're simply unconstitutional, and and the fact that you know you got these people touting them, thinking they're good things, like you guys need, mm-hmm. you know, well, <laughs> you it, pick up a constitution. Again. Well, and isn't this isn't this classic? Here we are in March of 2017. The Republican Party had this massive victory in November, both here in the state of Iowa and also nationally. 
And here we are frustrated like crazy about what they're doing. Yeah. I, I mean, mean it's done, classic, they, isn't it? They've done a few <laughs> a few things. But we still it's have, true. Life at Conception got dropped, which, you know, again, I recognize not everybody. You can't assume every single mm-hmm. Republican is on board with all pro-life, all the pro-life agenda. Mm-hmm. They should be. It's like at the top of our platform, life at conception. But the simple fact is they didn't have the votes for that. Understood, but it's still anyway. You slice. That's right. It's still frustrating, and these people need to be held accountable. Okay, next up from the Des Moines Register: Iowa voters would need to provide government-issued identification at the polls under an election bill approved Thursday by the Iowa Senate. House File Five Sixteen, which was initiated by Secretary of State Paul Pate, passed on a twenty-six twenty-one vote after a contentious debate. All Republicans supported the bill. And all Democrats and one independent were opposed. The bill returns to the House because it was amended by the Senate. The legislation is aimed at making sweeping changes to the state's election laws that Republicans say are needed to ensure the integrity of the process and prevent fraud. Elections are the backbone of a representative republic. Every election is important, said Senator Roby Smith, Republican from Davenport and chairman of the Iowa Senate State Government Committee and the bill's floor manager. Democrats, on the other hand, called the legislation a voter suppression bill. I'm so tired of hearing that. Right, because it's like they they give away IDs, they mail IDs. There's absolutely no reason why somebody could not get an ID. There's, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And and if and if we stop some voter fraud, this is worth it. Right, right. So um, there there's going to have to be some conferencing done between the House and the Senate. I think they're going to be able to work the the differences out, though. I hope. I do, too. I'd hate to see this go <laughs> down in flames. Go down in flames just because of a few things that that uh, so, uh, my, my phone <laughs> went. Anyway, we have one more story. Yep. Next up from AgWeb, Iowa District Court recently dismissed all Des Moines Waterworks claims against boards of supervisors in SAC, Buena Vista, and Calhoun counties in Iowa. The dismissal states draining, excuse me, drainage districts have no authority to address DMWW's alleged harm, and the company therefore has no authority to sue the drainage districts. In part of the lawsuit, it was asserted that tile lines should change from nonprofit source pollution to point source, which would require farmers to get permits for any potential runoff. Because the lawsuit was dismissed, no ruling was made on this matter. Now, this is a big win for Iowa agriculture, mm-hmm. and I can't I can't understand anybody who who would want to see Iowa agriculture micromanaged by the federal government in this way. Because that's what that's what would happen is these is these uh, farmers would have to apply for uh, for federal permits um, if, if for for drainage, and it it was a nightmare from top to bottom. And there was frankly quite a quite a number of people, even even the federal government, that were leery about uh, getting involved in in this particular issue. So it's a victory for for agriculture, and not just big ag, but everybody who farms, right? Because everybody who farms has some level of nitrate runoff. And in the state of Iowa, um, we, we all benefit very much from the agricultural economy. And if it costs us a little bit of money relative to cleaning the nitrates out of the river, that's an acceptable uh, risk. And in terms of the, of the money 
The worst case scenario, as I understand it, is it costs the average consumer in the Des Moines area $2 a year for nitrate removal. Oh, my. This is this is a non-issue. Yeah. I, I'll pay it. We do pay it. Absolutely. It's crazy. Hey, it's Caffeine Thoughts Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment. That middle-of-the-night phone call is taking its toll on you. You thought that the days of your kids interrupting your sleep were long gone. But now it's the predicaments of your grown children that are keeping you awake. I'm Scott Owen with Crosswalk Ministries of Central Iowa, and it's time to pause for peace. Parenting adult children can be draining. You have invested two intense decades into that kid, and you don't want to see it all go for naught. Well, consider these thoughts. As a parent, you're responsible for the process, not the product. Each person makes their own decision regarding Christ. God has no grandchildren, only children. Also, loosen that emotional tether. Let out the slack that ties their decisions to you, and you avoid the whiplash effect. Realistically, very little of what they do is actually because of you. If you need help working with an adult child, call Crosswalk Ministries at 515-635-5465 or visit us online at crosswalkcounseling.org. Hey, do you want to take advantage of the marketing potential within social media for your company or organization, but you're not so sure how? Let me help my company, 415 Communications LLC, is a social media consulting firm that works with groups like yours. Go to 415communications.com or give me a call at 515-321-5077. And now it's time for our new feature on Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Due to the incredible sheer volume of material we have available because the leader of the free world loves Twitter, that would be President Trump, today we are once again ending the show with our new feature. So, without further delay, drum roll please! It's just a little, little slow there, Ronaldus. Just saying. Dropped his sticks. <laughs> May I present to you the top Trump Tweet of the Week! Listen to them. That audience, they, I love them. I love them. Again, they are beside themselves yes. with excitement. They let's, always like to mention, Listen too. to that crowd, folks. <laughs> yeah. Calm them down a little bit. Yeah, boot them out. Yeah, somebody gave him some red meat or something. (laughs) All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we actually have five tweets that were given out over a uh, roughly roughly a three-hour period on March 20th. First, Jake Clapper and others stated that there is no evidence POTUS colluded with Russia. The story is fake news, and everyone knows it. That was from 535 yeah. a.m. I love it when he refers to himself in the third person. <laughs> <laughs> Fake news, big, big capital letters. Yeah. The Democrats made up and pushed the Russian story as an excuse for running a terrible campaign. Big advantage in electoral college and lost. <laughs> that one was at 549 a.m. Now at 602, he says this. The real story that Congress, the FBI, and all others should be looking into is the leaking of classified 
information. Must find leaker now. <laughs> so important. So important. important, yes. Well, I tell you what. I, I do have some sympathies for him on that particular right. point. Yeah. I, what, what are we doing with somebody in the intelligence community that's handing off information like this well, to the media? And like we said in the second segment about the unmasking of, of mm-hmm. folks that may be coming up with in intercepts but not in a way that actually has you know foreign surveillance um uh, it, it, you know, it, it's not necessarily information needed for the foreign intelligence or for in- the intelligence community. Um, it should have been masked, but it wasn't. Well, I, I heard some no doubt leftward leaning journalist recently say that that these leaks have always been around. It's no big deal. It's, it, it, they tried to make the case that that these leaks are are a healthy thing. Oh my. It, it, I mean, I'm just sitting there thinking to myself. Right. So mm. you you would have you would have told us that during the Obama years? No. Seriously? Don't believe that for a second. I don't think so. All Dude. right, this one was from 735. Just heard fake news. <laughs> fake. He can't even say CNN without saying fake news first. Just heard fake news CNN is doing polls again despite the fact that their election polls were way were a way off disaster. Much higher ratings at Fox. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think the president has endorsed Fox News there, folks. I think so. All right. And this is the last one. This is from 814 AM. I guess after that he went to work. What about all of the contact with the Clinton campaign and the Russians? Also, it is true that the DNC would not let the FBI in to look. Okay. Yeah. Also, is it true? And, and, it's like you're the president of the United States. Why are you asking us? Yeah. <laughs> you should know this. Talk to your attorney general. I don't I don't think his intelligence agencies are telling him very much. Right. <laughs> hey, anyway, this is Caffeine Thoughts Radio. Thanks for listening. Just FYI, this Thursday at the state capitol, ten AM, there's a pro life rally. She's a baby. Go talk to go on Thursday, ten AM, talk to your legislators. Caffeine Thoughts Radio. We see you next week.